All right, so as some of you guys know, I really like to study international missions. Uh, I got to, to do that a little bit, and so I, I like to read various stories of people coming to different cultures, uh, different countries, and, and sharing the gospel, particularly for the first time. And there is uh, one story. Some, some missionaries went to a remote village to share the gospel. All right, this is a, a village who had never heard about God, Jesus, the Bible, nothing. Hadn't heard about any of that, right? So you got to start with square one, right? And so they started with something called uh, storytelling. They, 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 they're telling the story from creation all the way to Christ, all right? And so this takes some time as you, as you tell the story over weeks and weeks. And, and, and when they got to the, the death of Christ, the villagers were happy. Now, they didn't know that, you know, Jesus' death was like atoning. They, got, they just got happy. And so the, the, the missionaries were like real confused, like, what? Why? This not the, we ain't got to the resurrection. Y'all ain't supposed to be happy yet. You know what I mean? And so, like, so they were confused, and they, and they asked them, like, what are, you, what are you guys thinking? What are you guys thinking? And they were like, man, we really like the hero of the story. And he was like, well, who do you guys think the hero of the story is? And they said, Judas, the one that portrayed Jesus. And they were like, huh? How did you hear that story and think that Judas was the hero? That sounds crazy, right? But in their culture, they valued trickery. They valued being dishonest for gain. And so as they heard the story, they were, were gauging it based off of their own value systems. And they heard the scriptures, but they had the wrong value system. So, so, the, so the missionaries had to not only tell the story, but they had to tackle the whole culture's value system because the value system itself did not line up with scripture. In other words, they had to fight for something called corporate repentance. That there was, there was something in that particular village that it wasn't just that one person did one thing that was bad, but there was a value system that ran contrary to the scriptures themselves. And so they had to challenge not just individuals and their sins, but they had to ch challenge a value system that got it wrong and it was off. There can be such a messed up value system in a community or a culture that the whole culture, the whole community has to repent. See, this was the case in Nineveh. You know, when we talked about Jonah 1, we talked a little bit about Nineveh. This was uh, kind of like a, a place that valued uh, power, that valued violence. If you look at their artwork, it was mostly violent. All right, this is like God coming to you and saying, I want you to go preach to ISIS. And you're like, I don't know about all that. They don't seem like it would be okay if I went over there. And see, God was going to judge Nineveh because of their track record and, and, uh, of violence. And, and, and Nineveh needed corporate repentance. And that's where we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. Verse 1, it goes, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh 
will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by the order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster. He had threatened them and he did not do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand your word. Lord God, that, that the, the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts, that we would not only understand, but that we would apply what is written. Would you give us the grace to do so? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so it starts off with this, this that God giving Jonah a second chance. As you remember, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. He got swallowed up by fish. He repents. And then it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This chapter starts off with good news. See, see if you have messed up, your chance to serve God is not over. Now, if I was God and Jonah had disobeyed me over and over and over again, had ran the other way, I would have been like, well, maybe I need to find somebody else. Maybe I should pick a different guy because this guy, he ain't listening when I'm talking. But God's grace is so big that even if we have messed up, God will give us a second chance. Listen, our, our track record of messing up and God giving us grace, it may just give us a deeper understanding of that grace. Now imagine when Apostle Peter would preach about grace, about God overlooking our sins, I imagine that he would remember the time that he betrayed Jesus three times. Grace was not a, a philosophical topic or a theological argument, but it was a lived reality because he himself had received that grace. See, if you receive great grace, we need to go and to tell others about that grace. Those who have experienced grace can explain it and share it the most. Beloved, we need to remember our sins, yet remember the track record of God's forgiveness, that we would treasure God's grace in our hearts so that when we would speak to one another, we would remember about this great God who forgives sins and gives us second chances. Next, we find out that, that God judges evil. Look at verse 4. It says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. What a sermon, right? Like, that's the only recorded words we have. It's, 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 it's like, it's like he, he goes downtown and he's like, y'all going to hell. And anyway, that, like, that, that's the sermon. Like, like, what kind of sermon is this, right? Like, this is a really whack sermon. 
Uh, he doesn't talk about grace. He doesn't talk about for forgiveness. He just is like, hey, y'all about to get judged. Now, here's the interesting thing. Even though Jonah's emphasis was off, we need to take judgment seriously. Scripture says that every person will have to give an account. We'll all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that, that what we have done, whether good or evil, we will have to respond. See, his emphasis may have been off, but his point was right. Now, there was a time where I feel like that in of itself might have been offensive, but we live in a culture that talks about justice all the time. We want to talk about people having to, to pay for what they have done wrong. Beloved, that's always good news until it's you. You feel real good telling somebody they better get right. But when somebody talks to you like, oh, well, it's them, no. No, beloved, it's all of us. We all have to face what we have done before God. Better yet, no miscarriage of justice goes unanswered. There there is a lot of anxiety about, about justice not being done. And we feel like we have to take it into our own hands because it's not being done. But Romans 12, 19, it says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will pay, says the Lord. Now, I don't know if you ever read this thing called the Old Testament. I think God's pretty good at getting vengeance. I think God's okay with knowing how to establish what is right. And I don't need to always elevate myself in that seat. But I would submit to him and trust him that he would enact what is just. Now, I have a little caveat. I feel like in this this season, it's, it's, uh, it's probably hard to do anything, but it, I, I, I'm a pastor, so I feel like it's kind of hard to be a pastor because there's all of this conversation reg- regarding what's happening in the public square, regarding politics, and you have some people who say pastors should say nothing, and then you have some people who say pastors should always preach about it, and I believe it's somewhere in the middle, but I, I think that what my job is is to look at the scriptures and give us a biblical framework to have principles wherewith we can look and judge ourselves. Okay, that's, that's what I feel is, 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 is my responsibility. So I just want to give, since we're on the topic of justice, I want to give a little caveat regarding public justice. There's a lot of conversation about public justice. We need justice on an institutional level. But listen, institutions can do public justice. Individuals cannot. That's why if you did something wrong and I came to come arrest you, you would be like, wait a minute. You can't do that. You can't just be doing what you want to do. There's, there's an institution in order to do this. See, if we, if we look at the civil rights movement, it was this idea of calling the institution to fulfill its responsibilities of public justice. Right? The, 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 the whole idea was, hey, listen, we have this constitution that says that all men are created equal. It, look, look at the two fountains. It, does it look like that to you? But it wasn't taking the justice in their own hands. It was calling the institution to fulfill out its role of justice. 
And so as we have conversations about justice, we need to be sure that we understand public justice is done by institutions. See, if all of us as individuals got to decide what we wanted justice to be, would it not be chaos? I feel like I, I, think, I think I know what's right. Well, I think I know what's right. No, we, we have to have, now listen, we hold the institutions accountable. Right? If there is a disagreement, let's have some accountability. But the conversation needs to be centered around the principles of public justice. And if a given institution is living by them. Does that make sense? So, beloved, we, we, we look at public institutions and we say, scripturally, you're supposed to uphold the cause of justice. But we do not take it into our own hands. Because that would be unjust. All right. So, a true understanding of judgment would affect the way that we all live today. See, too often we think about justice and judgment as only reserved for others. It's, it's, it's they're going to get theirs, they're going to get theirs. But how would we live if we knew that we ourselves have a date of judgment? We would be more careful with our actions. Now, here's the craziest thing. Jonah comes into Nineveh. He preaches this sermon that is like not the best sermon I've ever heard, but yet they repent. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. See, the people of Nineveh had faith. They believed God. And what I love this demonstrates is that their belief, their faith, it demanded an action. We, 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 too often we, we talk about having faith, but, but our faith is not demonstrated. Look, we're, we're not saved by our works, but if we have faith, works will follow. In other words, it's like saying, put your money where your mouth is. Now, what they did, they did something that we don't do often. They said they, they dressed in sackcloth. This was a fabric made of goat or camel hair, which made it coarse or uncomfortable. They put on some really scratchy clothes because they understood that repentance itself is uncomfortable. Beloved, cussing, uh, confessing sin is uncomfortable, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. If you marry, you probably should, right? Confessing sin is awkward. You're like, well, remember when I did that wrong thing? Sorry. You know, like, you got, you got to kind of eat your words, right? But then and also changing a sinful pattern is difficult, right? If you've, if you've gotten in a rut of sin and you realize you need to change, you don't just snap your fingers. It's kind of a battle and a fight. But beloved, that is what repentance means. Repentance is costly because it is uncomfortable. And what I love about this text is, is we see a community, a communal repentance. Look at verse 6. It says, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Now remember, Nineveh was judged for wickedness, particularly this, this wickedness of being violent. It was a violent culture that honored and valued violence. And the king gets up and he says, I, I know I need to repent, but everybody need to repent. Even the animals. That's crazy, isn't it? 
The dog needs to repent. Everybody, the ducks, the, the goldfish, everybody is repenting. All right? And so, so what's, what's interesting is, is surely not everyone sinned in the same way. Right? If you have a large group of people, that surely not everybody did the exact same thing. When we talk about this idea of communal repentance, the biggest argument that you hear is, well, they did that, but I didn't do that. They did that thing, but it wasn't me. But the animals did not sin. Like, we know that. So, so what's going on here? Why or how would he encourage repentance for actions that they may not have done? Let's, let's, let's analyze the text. What is happening here? In this communal repentance, I, I, I notice at least four things. The first thing is there is a posture of humility. When there, when there is public communal just, just sin that is just going everywhere, there's this idea of humility and this, this at, at least a, a, a hearing ear to say, well, well maybe, maybe I am or could be involved in this in some way. Secondly, I see lament. Now, lament is to express sorrow, mourning, or regret, often demonstratively. See, that, that city needed to express sorrow for the exploitation of power and violence that came to mark their culture. You can be sad about something that you did not do, yeah? You can observe something that makes your heart sad. Say, look around you. Is there not some things that just should be lamentable because they're bad? Fourthly, there's this idea of prayer and intercession. They, they asked God for mercy. They needed to ask God to change people. They said, look, everybody seek the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Maybe he will change his mind about this judgment. And the last is this idea of self-examination. Do I see the common sin in my own life? Now, if I lived in Nineveh, maybe it wasn't that I murdered people. But should I do some self-examination? Do, do I do violence to people's characters by my, by my speech? Right, we can always see the big manifestation, but Jesus really gets to the heart of sin. We look at the big uh, public acts of sin, but he identifies the sin that is in the heart. Now, what's beautiful is that it is in God's character to honor repentance. Look at verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with. And he did not do it. Beloved, God shows grace to the humble. And God sees actions of repentance. You know, I've had conversations, particularly when we first start out, on the Christian life, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I had a lot of sin that I need to work at. I still do, but it was like, I just felt like it was a lot of it. I'm like, gosh, what do I do? How do I get over this? And I felt like I was, I was struggling and, and fighting, and I would take one step and two steps back, and I, it was just this, this fight. But beloved, God sees our efforts of repentance. God sees our efforts at honoring him, and he shows us grace. Now, here's a point I want to make. The communal nature of sin needs a communal repentance. Now, let's talk about sin and its effects, right? Sin doesn't just affect the person doing the sin, right? Usually you sin against somebody. Sin is like Kool-Aid and water. You know, you put some Kool-Aid in the water, and then the Kool-Aid just kind of, 
It changes the whole contents of the water. Okay, I'm the only one who drinks Kool-Aid. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? That, that's the Kool-Aid, but we don't leaven dough, okay? The idea is that when there's a little sin, it, just, it, it has this tendency to just spread around, right? Sin, sin hurts others. We, we see that every day. But then when there's sinning that is happening often and around us, it does make us more inclined to sin, does it not? That's why people are like, watch out who you hang around. Why? Why? Because when sin is often and surrounding me, it is more easy for me to step in it. See, we need to understand there's a communal nature of sin. Therefore, because of the communal nature, we have to lament, humble ourselves, pray, and self-examine because of the pervasiveness of it. That doesn't mean that, like, listen, we live in a culture that has values that are contrary to God. Now, everybody likes to point out different ones, but even what we watch, what, what we consume has seeds of things that are against what God likes. And if we are not careful, if we are not conscious, we are just consuming what's around us and not understanding that it actually affects our own souls. But beloved, the good news is that we can repent confidently because Jesus took the communal and individual sins on his back. I don't know if you've ever apologized to somebody you wasn't sure if they were going to forgive you. That's, that's an awkward place to be. But beloved, when we come to Jesus in repentance, we can have confidence that he will forgive us. First John 2 verses 1 and 2, it says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. My hopes for our church is that we would be a community of repentance. I don't know if that sounds odd to you, but one of my favorite quotes is from uh, the reformer Martin Luther. He said, the Christian life, as a life of continual repentance. If that's true on an individual level, should we not assist one another in that? What, what could it look like for us to be a community of repentance? First, I think a way that we could be a community of repentance is that we would honor honest speech. We need to be able to speak honestly to one another about our faults. Yeah? If, if I can't speak honestly, if I see something that you're doing and it will endanger you, but I can't speak honestly to you, then you will not get help. And the same with me. We need to be open and honest and value true speech, even if that speech hurts our feelings a little bit. Beloved, if we know that our lifestyle should be one of repentance, then we should expect that we would actually have to do it sometimes which means that people would bring stuff to us that might be awkward to hear. This means that we have to be a community of trust. See, there is no real community without periodic hard speech. A lot of times people have a wrong view of discipleship because they think discipleship means that we get with our best friends and we high five. 
But beloved, discipleship means that when I am tripping or when you are tripping, I lovingly come to you and say, hey, that thing you're doing, that, that's not what scripture says. That's not what Jesus would, would honor. Beloved, community is difficult because we are all sinners together called to speak truth to one another. What else, we would need humility. What would it look like for you to ask your brother or sister for constructive criticism in your life? If we can concede that we got to repent sometimes and we don't always see when that is, then maybe sometimes I would go to my brother and sister and say, where do you see areas in which my life could conform more to God's word? Thirdly, we would lament. See, we need to pay enough attention to one another that we would be grieved when people sin or when they are sinned against. Beloved, I, I'm telling you, it, it, it kind of, I feel like we, we kind of live in these silos. We have our head down. We do the work we got to do. We keep, we keep right in front of us, and that's, this is what we do. But if we would open our eyes and look around us, we would see opportunities to grieve, but also opportunities to serve. Listen, we have to grieve because we live in a broader culture that at times does not seem to value life that much. I can't tell you every time I turn on the news, what do you hear? Somebody got shot for a lot of different reasons. Beloved, there are many reasons to lament. We would pray, ask God to give the gift of repentance and healing. And lastly, we would be people that would honor and value self-examination. Listen, without self-examination, you will become the very thing that you hate. Okay, so, so some are are angry, rightfully so, because people have uh, pre become prejudiced and judgmental. But sometimes in response, we become judgmental ourselves. People respond with, with rage as they see disorder that is caused by rage. Beloved, everything that we see that we can have a problem with, we have to go, is it in me? Is it in me? We cannot get the goals of God's kingdom without the character of the king. We cannot seek for that which is good in a way that does not honor him. Beloved, if we want to see public justice, we must seek personal holiness. That gives us credibility. Our church needs to be a safe place for a community of, of repentance. That's how God brings us hope how he brings holiness, and beloved, how he brings change. So as your pastor, that is what I'm longing for us, that if this is how you know we in discipleship for real. I'm gonna speak a little Ebonics to you. This is how you know, is if you can speak to one another honestly, can lovingly call out sin, and that you can grow and repent from it. That's how you know you in that real discipleship. It is my hope that God would bring that about here so that we would see the change in ourselves and our community that we want to see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have given us this opportunity to repent, to be honest about our own sin. Lord, there's no fear in being honest about our sin because your word says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. 
because you have died in our place, we do not need to be afraid to be honest. Because you have risen from the grave, we can have hope of change. So Lord, would you do this? Would you make us a community of repentance by the Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.